Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here, you there. A reminder that the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. The FSU Sports Calendar officially begins this week. We are coming at you at 7.01 with six seconds to go right along with it here on this Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on 89.7 FM WVFS. The Voice, we're live from the WVFS studios in Tallahassee, 420 Diffenbaugh on University Way. We don't yet have a line open for you, but we will later at 850-644-1837 if you'd like to give us a call and talk some sports. With that being said, I am your host, William Haynes, seated in the co-pilot seat to my left, filling in for Jackson Bakich tonight, is the producer of Tomahawk Talk, Jack Oliaro. Jack, it is great to see you tonight. It is great to see you too. How you been, William? I have been good. I got here last week, went to every day of FSU football fall camp, which we'll talk about, went to Jacksonville for a couple of days out there as well, which is good. Uh, it's kind of weird being here before all the students get here. It's a little bit of a ghost town, which it certainly will not be uh, next week, the first week of classes and everything. But uh, Jack, you, I mean, talk about an unsung hero. You moved in today. I mean, not only did you, you drive up, you move in and you're here on the show tonight. I mean, can't, can't really say enough about what you're doing, but it's great to have you uh, here on the show tonight. Jackson Bakich will be back next week, uh, the full crew uh, and everything with that. But I'd hate to bury the lead any further. This is the biggest show Tomahawk Talk has had in quite some time. We have a report for fall camp and exclusive interviews. Yes, you heard that right, exclusive interviews with head FSU soccer coach Brian Penske and the voice of the Knowles, Jeff Colhane. We recorded those at a time and some great conversations that we uh, really cannot wait uh, to share with you. We'll begin with FSU football and their previous week of fall camp, 15 days deep into camp after Saturday's scrimmage. And I had the privilege of spending last week at camp, including a two-day stay in Jacksonville. And we'll kind of just go over now all my takeaways from fall camp, um, everything that I've seen. I've not had the chance yet of attending a fall camp. This is the first year that I've done that. Uh, so it has been interesting to see kind of the inner workings of the team, how practices are run, uh, and get an inside look that not everyone is, is able to, to see. So uh, i looking forward to uh, sharing that with everyone here tonight. Uh, we'll start with the beginning of the week, which was here in Tallahassee. Basically Monday through Wednesday, they were here on campus practicing on, on the practice fields across from Dote Campbell Stadium. They have the great indoor facility uh, in there as well. So that was cool getting to be there running around uh, here, there, and everywhere. And that, that leads me really to my first point. Uh, they, they do everything in practice. It's, it's a mix of 11-on-11, 7-on-7, position drills, uh, et cetera, all the, all the stuff that it takes uh, to go into a season. And, and I had heard a lot uh, about Mike Norvell and his practices that they, they're well run and uh, everyone's on a hop. They're hustling to, to all the drills. And that was something that I think Florida State has been missing uh, as of late towards the, uh, the, over the course of the, the, the two coaches that were holding the post before Mike Norvell. There was some talk about, you know, what's going on at practice? Are these guys really getting what they need? Are they ready for game time? And, and se ever since Mike Norvell has gotten here uh, before the 2020 season, all the talk has been he runs terrific practices. Everyone is where they need to be. Everything is very organized. And um, I will just say being there in person, uh, I can confirm that that was the case uh, to anyone really that's just wondering. And, and my next point, the defense definitely dominated the week early on, uh, but I would say the offense definitely found their way um, as the time went on. Um, I, I think that's that's typically uh, a cliche, if you'll if you'll call it, um, of of camp. Whether that's in really any level, football, high school, college, even in the NFL, you see this, and um, where the defense just dominates camp. You, you see the same offense every day. And you learn the you learn the plays, you learn the formations, and you're able to just kind of blow the offense out of the water. I thought that maybe that would be the case um, early on in camp, but I would say as the week went on, um, it, they got better at I'm saying the the offense at attacking back and looking a little bit better. Uh, to that point, I I talked to co-defensive coordinator Randy Shannon after a practice, and I asked him about this very very thing, and I'll and I'll play the quote for you now here.
the same. I mean, zone is zone. Um, you know, zone read is zone read. Route combinations are route combinations. So it's just the formation. And the uh, blocking scheme is going to be the blocking scheme. You may have one or two different things you just have to adjust. So, you know, if, if, you, if you stick to the fundamentals and, and the techniques of what you're doing and the, and the individual drills, anything that you see down the road, you should be able to handle and again, that was uh, co-defensive coordinator Randy Shannon. Had a bit of a difficulty getting to the uh, the audio there, but I think we're good now. And that was an interesting uh, answer to, to me, Jack. I mean, I, I, I think he was honest, and I, I think, you know, as, as Camp later went on, I, he was right about that. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, everything is, is kind of the same. Uh, the formations are the formations, as he said. The, the plays are the plays. Um but but what do you think about that? Do you think it do you think it affects the defense trying to get ready for a season when you're when you're playing the same offense every day, seeing the same stuff, seeing the same guys? It does a little bit, and you know that's to be expected. Though it's just kind of the way you could do it. You can't really run specific uh, plays or formations or whatnot to acclimatize to certain opponents. When um, I mean you can, but there's a time and place for that. And it, right now we're just trying to get they're just trying to get everybody up and going. Trying to make sure everybody is, you know, adequate and ready to go and handle everything accordingly. Yeah, and and the offense, as I've continued to say, they, they came on stronger later in the week. Uh, they they did some eleven on eleven in the indoor facility because they they do they practice situational stuff, whether it be you know short yardage or or you know two minute drills, things like that. And uh, the offense definitely started to pick up some momentum. Johnny Wilson, the transfer receiver, who we'll talk about um, shortly. Um, was a big factor in the offense playing well. Um, the, the next point that I had, Alex Alex Atkins, who this past offseason was named to be the new offensive coordinator. Um, he was previously the offensive line coach. He came from Charlotte. He's been huge in recruiting um, all kinds of offensive players, not just on the line, but skill position players as well. And he was highly touted uh, this past offseason. Um, FSU had a vacancy at offensive coordinator after Kenny Dillingham left for Oregon. And so they decided to promote Atkins to offensive coordinator. But I'll tell you, being a practice, he's still really working without with this offensive line. Saw him uh, doing some drills, and it was interesting to see up up close the, the kind of technique that he wants these guys to have. Um, I, I think over the years, you've seen the offensive linemen shift from maybe you know all five guys across the line have their hands in the dirt, um, kind of even stance. But now you see these guys uh, standing upright, but before the snap, and they're kind of staggered, and you got to see kind of why he's doing that 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 quick uh, jump step, which I, I'm hoping. You know, year over year, as as this Mike Norvell offense and his staff continues down the line, that you know, pass protection will be better. I think having speed at the tackle position is a factor in that. Robert Scott is a guy um, that that played tackle last year and did a really good job of it. I, I think guys like him um, with, with those quick out steps, um, Bless Harris, a transfer, and uh, it was it was interesting hearing from from Bless Harris. He had a media availability, and he was saying that. Um, not everyone can play for, for Coach Atkins. Um, it, it takes a certain type of player, and I think that's really what you want to hear. Of course, there's the player's coach that everyone loves, but I think what I like about Atkins is um, he expects the best out of his guys at, at every turn. And, you know, do you agree with that, Jack? I mean, do you want to, do you want a coach where it's like, yeah, you really have to bring your A game every day if you're going to play for this guy? Especially as a uh, freshman, you don't want a guy who's going to acclimatize to uh, potentially your level. You want to lead a group of young men into becoming, um, you know, leaders. And that's what uh, Atkins has been doing. And it's really uh, kind of a welcome sight to see because I, uh, I think traditional football fans are not exactly huge fans of player coaches and, you know, not, not exactly going to the players' needs, but just good old-fashioned uh, coaching. Uh, you know, you bring your best, um, and that's kind of the way it should be. You don't want somebody – you don't want everybody here at, Flor- at Florida State. You want uh, the type of people that Atkins wants. You want those type of people. So – I think going forward, um, I think it's a good uh, mindset to be in, and that's the way Florida State's sort of been presented thus far. Absolutely. Another thing that I noticed, and this is on both sides of the ball, both offense and defense, um, there's not really yet defined strings, um, you know, depth chart-wise. Coach Norvell said after Saturday's scrimmage a couple of days ago that he is starting to kind of finalize what that is. We'll find out maybe next week um, when we're talking about the Duquesne game at the start of the year. But the, the first couple of weeks of fall camp, everyone is playing with everyone. There's no, you know, first team versus first team. Everyone is playing with each other. Uh, co-defensive coordinator Randy Shannon talked about that, that all the linebackers were, were filtering through. And depth has been a big thing for FSU in the past couple of years. And I think maybe just guys gelling with each other that you can throw out any player when you need to. 
um, could be big. And, and, and we, to that point as well, we don't exactly know what the, the starting 11s are going to be on both sides of the ball. But um, I think that also you can have that competition across all the strings uh, is a good sign. On the offensive side of the ball, the receivers, I would say out of all the returning receivers, Kayshawn Helton uh, is the best out of that returning group. I think he's he's flashed a lot of speed, a lot of agility. He's a, a smaller guy that can play in the slot and kind of catch those underneath stuff. I think maybe if you get the run game going, the, the play action, you know, if you're looking at receivers that you're going to take shot plays with. But they do have Ontario Wilson uh, returning along with Keyshawn Hilton um, and Ja'Kai Douglas, uh, Malik McLean as well. They do have returning guys, but I would say uh, Keyshawn Hilton has been uh, probably the best of that group. Uh, And talking about new faces at the wide receiver position, Johnny Wilson, the transfer from Arizona State. He's 6'7". He's an absolutely massive receiver, but he's fast too. He he reminds me of Mike Evans, and I know maybe you roll your eyes at that because that is a high praise. Evans has been probably a top five receiver in the NFL with the Buccaneers over the course of his career, but he reminds me of a guy that can challenge uh, cornerbacks one-on-one, you know, if you're, they're going to play him uh, man coverage. I mean, they would double-team him, triple-team him in practice, and he was still catching passes over guys. Uh, did a great job of high-pointing the ball, catching in traffic, as I said, um, was a big thing. And um, he, he's been great all camp. I think his best week at camp was probably last week. It seemed like every day someone was asking a question, what about this Johnny Wilson guy? He's tearing it up in practice. I think he's going to be a huge part of, of what this offense can do. And I did ask Mike Norvell about what having a guy like this, uh, how, he, how that can uh, affect the team. Looks like the receivers today did a great job of high pointing the football. How does that, or how can it add an extra element to the offense? Uh, you know, we've got all, we have receivers of all you know, shapes and sizes, and uh, you know when you have big big players that, that play high, uh, you know, uh, you know over the top with being able to get full extension, uh, going to get the ball at the highest point. You know, it's uh, you know it's a, definitely a benefit. And then even guys who are you know you know not as tall, but they're still you know the the ability to go and, uh, and attack the ball when it's in the air. I mean, it's something that uh, we work a lot on, and uh, I think uh, I think our guys embrace that and understand the importance of you know, every one of those inches as, as that ball is coming back to them. One of the biggest differences I can tell from this team in 2022 compared to 2021 is um, their receiver position. And I, I think they will still, I'm going to be honest, I think they'll still struggle at times to get separation from defensive backs. It was tough to watch this offense at times because guys just flat out could not get open. Not only do I think they'll be a little bit better at that, but catching in traffic, high point in the football, Jordan Travis in year three is able to, to place the ball a little bit better. Um, and, and you heard it from Mike Norvell there, how it can can change an offense. And I'm, I'm really confident that even if guys aren't open, you're going to fit in those tight windows. And, and Jack, that's um, you're always going to be able to need to do that. You're not always going to have guys wide open, but when the times get tough, I think they're going to be able to have some success still. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's something that's really looked improved is that uh – that ability to make those certain types of plays. And we saw what just one of those certain types of plays, those small window plays, you can go back to the Miami in the 4th and 14. You can always see what those little details and what how that all comes together. It may sound like, oh, they're going incre- like little increments, but those little increments can make a huge difference at this level, especially uh, with Florida State needs it at the moment. Uh, there's a couple of guys that have flashed in the running back room. I, I would say Trey Benson is someone a lot of people have eyes on out of Oregon. Did not play a lot uh, in Eugene, but um, has a really high ceiling. He's like, had injury stuff, um, but I think he's a guy like a legit top-tier starting ACC running back. We'll see it, how much time he gets on the field. Um, but then you have the returners, Treshawn Ward, who I love. Lawrence Toafili, great freshman year in 2020, a bit of a step back in 2021. I would say he w- he's been one of the bright spots in camp on the offensive side of the ball. And someone, when asked about, Mike Norvell loves to praise uh, the running back Rodney Hill, the true freshman. So that, that seems to be a, a deep position group and a position group that has been one of Norvell's best uh, since coming to Tallahassee. A couple other quick points. Uh, the front seven has been stout. I mean, in practice, they have been dominating up front quite a bit. All the days where the defense was good, it's even of the ones where they weren't. It seemed like the front seven stopping the interior run has been something this defense has been great at. Derek McClendon, Fabian Lovett, I think is, is the true leader of this defense and maybe a leader of the team. Uh, it seems like a lot of people have raved about about his ability to do that. And then Jared Jackson, the, the, the transfer from Louisville on the defensive line has been good as well. Um, a couple of, of young defensive backs who I want to shout out. They do have some great returning players, but Sam McCall, true freshman, uh, he was the top player in this previous class. We talked about him last week. He's been outstanding. I, I think he's going to play more 
more than maybe some were expecting. We'll see. He's looked great in practice. Uh, Sidney Williams, Amarian Cooper, a couple other young guys. Amarian um, Cooper was came on great. I know I think he had an interception or two in that Clemson game. Has got great ball skills and did a good job um, of, of intercepting some passes in fall camp uh, as well. Uh, after that, they go to... Uh, Jacksonville, Thursday and Friday, it's kind of a hard knocks feel where they get on the bus and uh, they want to get away from it all. They don't want to stay in Tallahassee um, and kind of stay in the same routine because I think at that point they were 12 or so days into camp. So they get to Jacksonville to get away from things. Uh, they go to the, the uh, UNF campus, University of North Florida. They're playing on a, on a rec field. The grass was nice, I'll say, but it was kind of uh, secluded away from everything. It was hot. There were gnats. This is something that uh, Norvell has done in the last couple of years. It was funny to hear about uh, some of the players' reactions to that trip. Um, but with that being said, we'll bring in now uh, Kylie Brennan, who was with us in, uh, w- was with me at practice uh, on Friday. This is also the first time testing out the phones. Kylie, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Absolutely, we can. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, this is brilliant. First time testing out the phones. I'm really excited that this is working. <laughs> No question about that. So, so we were at practice in Jacksonville on Friday, and I think we, we agreed on a lot of things. What were some of the things you saw uh, getting to see this team in fall camp? Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of already touched on Johnny Wilson coming in, a transfer from Arizona State, home of the Sun Devils. Uh, it was really interesting and cool to be able to watch him. And kind of like you said, he was catching balls, even being triple team coverage. It was it was insane and definitely something that you want to see because that's something that I don't really feel like we've seen in the wide receiver uh, group um, in quite some time is, like, legitimate height, build, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at his stats from Arizona State, uh, he kind of battled a hamstring injury and had two years on the temp there. Um but, yeah, I'm really hoping that he breaks out for us in kind of what Micah Pittman told us in his uh, post-camp interview on, I think, day 14 was when I joined you there, about how Norvell really puts you in the position to make plays that you personally can make on uh, frequently, like something that you're comfortable doing and hoping that he really fits into that explosive offense as, Micah detailed there too. Yeah, Micah Pittman. He was a guy that, that I forgot to mention earlier. The tra- another transfer from that Oregon offense, and and he was a highly tatted guy. I know his brother was a second round pick. He's a star in the NFL. So Pittman has got a lot of expectations, and I do like the point that you brought up that it, he he was not shy to say you know Oregon didn't really use me right. They didn't put me in position to succeed. But you know what, Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins in this offense does. Um, and that for the first time in a while to see that that kind of uh, positive momentum in the, the wide receiver room, uh, it, it's nice to see because the offense needs it. Absolutely. And uh, another moment that I feel like is pretty key to touch on was when we were t- or when everyone was kind of asking him about Jordan Travis because that's of course what everyone wants to know about is you know you got Tate, you got Jordan, you got AJ Duffy thrown into the mix who's like, can we just say he's extremely talented, as both of us saw. But I thought something that was really interesting was Micah comparing Justin to, he, he said, Jay Herb. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it reminds me of my Jay Herb days. And I had to I had to stop and think. I was like, man, he's got to be talking about the wheels because we know Jordan Travis has wheels. So that's got to be one of the comparisons that he's making there. That, that's great. I actually did miss that. When I heard Jay Herb, I was trying to figure out what that was. But, of course, Justin Herbert at, at Oregon when, when he was in his college days. So anytime you're getting compared to one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, can't go wrong with that. Absolutely. And he, he kind of made a point to go back there and be like, I promise I'm just not gassing my boy up. I promise I'm being for real. And I remember kind of sitting there and being like, well, I hope you're for real. I, I hope that's <laughs> what we see this season. <laughs> Absolutely. One thing we did see as well, and I don't know if it was reflected across the whole week, but I think the day we were there on Friday, and they had been, I think it was at that point, five or six straight days of of pads and practice. But there were some drop balls. Uh, We have a lot of positive things to say about the room, but it's not all perfect. They they struggled a little bit, I would say, in that department. Absolutely. I mean, you 
when we were on the sidelines there, you could hear Coach Dugan kind of getting a little frustrated, and he was saying, you know, don't be lazy, get get there. And, um, you know, not to try and correlate this to my volleyball days at all, but a lot of times we would have girls that would sort of just stop running and they would stick their arm out and just kind of one arm past something, and it would be like, hey, come on, you can run there, you can get there, you can get two hands on the ball, and that gives us a much better chance offensively. And honestly, that correlates to this receiver group kind of a lot because one thing I noticed was it was a lot of just reaching, and it was kind of like, all right, guys, like, you're fast. You can you can get there. Get there. Put two hands there. Make the play. Don't we don't need all these drop balls that we saw that kind of happened a lot on Friday. But you know, hoping that they work out those kinks. You know, we did see a little bit of the dusting of rain, so we're hoping that that just works itself out before the season. You know. Yeah, you mentioned Coach Ron Dugans. We heard from him after practice on Friday. I would say this is probably one of the best wide receiver rooms he's had in a while, if not his whole time there. So there's some pressure on him. There's some pressure on that group because I think this team, in large part, goes as far as that offense can take them. Uh, you were you were there in, in Jacksonville for practice on Friday, but you are also at the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, preseason opener. And um, I'm sure there, there were some things for the Jaguars, but I think a, a headline a lot of people had their eyes on. Deshaun Watson played a football game in Jacksonville. Tell me about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he was there. Uh, he was on the field. He played a football game. Let's hope that doesn't happen again. Um, <laughs> or at least that's, that's my stance on it. But, yeah, he was not welcomed with open arms to Jacksonville whatsoever. I'm sure uh, everyone has probably seen the Pardon my take video or the Barstool Sports video that went around. Um, I will save your ears and not really repeat what was said, but it did make me very proud of my city. I'll, I'll go as far as to say that. Um, kind of the ongoing joke there was, you know, what happens if this guy gets a cramp, you know? Oh, like, no, yeah, I, who's going to take <laughs> care of that, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, let's hope they have an uh, all-male massage team for him there. <laughs> oh well uh, it was awkward the nfl was in a weird position they could have dropped a suspension to keep him out of the games but there's still kind of that litigation process which i think is awkward uh for everyone but it, it was great talking to you getting a couple of updates um i'm sorry we couldn't have you in the studio tonight and i and i really hope we can have you maybe next week or, or sometime soon yeah absolutely great talking to you as always william all right, there she goes. The great Kylie Brennan was great getting to see her and, and going to practice with her. Um, one of our, our best here in the sports department at, at WVFS. And as I said, looking forward to having her on the show sometime soon. So we got to move this along. Well, part of a, one of our prized gems of the show tonight, I got a chance to sit down with the voice of the Florida State Seminoles, Jeff Colhane, also the director of broadcasting, as you'll hear. He's going to be calling the football, the men's basketball, on the radio. Um, and he's a, he's a really talented guy. We got a, a, a pretty in-depth conversation with him, and we'll play it right here. Um, uh, without further ado, I will uh, take it away with that. And joining the show now, we have Jeff Colhane. He is the new director of broadcasting and also the voice of Florida State football and basketball. We are uh, enthousi enthusiastic to have you joining the show, and thanks for giving us some of your time. William, thanks for having me on, and very excited to be with you and be a part of uh, the Seminole family here over the last uh, six weeks or so. And I, I tell you what, I'm I know Mike Norvell is probably the most excited to watch his team run out of the tunnel at Doak. I'm, I'm not far behind. I'm looking forward to that first game on August 27th. I think we all are really, really excited about that. Uh, before starting the job here in Tallahassee in July, you spent the previous six years at North Dakota State calling some football, basketball, baseball. You did some sports radio in Fargo as well. Before that, you spent three years at West Virginia doing baseball and women's basketball and you even spent six years in Nebraska uh, doing some work as well. So you've done a lot of different things, a lot of different sports. You lived all over the country. What has that experience been like over the years? It's been fantastic. And I will tell you, uh, we are never going to move again. I'll <laughs> tell you that right now. So uh, never going to happen. Um, I, I shouldn't say that. Never say never, right? But no, it's been remarkable. You know, I, what I would tell 
um, fans and also I would tell young broadcasters, you know, it's it's been great to develop the relationships that I have at all the different places that I've been. And relationships are a huge part of our business. Uh, they're a huge part of any business. And I think they're just a, they're a huge part of life uh, as well. And uh, to be at the places that I have uh, around the fans that I have has been a tremendous experience. And I think it's it's led me here. I think it's led me to Tallahassee and to uh, the rabid fan base that I've been able to get to know over the last month and a half here at Florida State. And everybody has been so welcoming. They've been so unbelievable. And I want to thank everyone that's connected with me on social media, digitally, um, on the digital platforms that we've had with our podcasts. And uh, I can't wait to get in the radio booth and, and follow the great Gene Deckerhoff you know, keeping his chair warm, hopefully for a long, long time uh, myself. And so amazing experiences. And I think all of those experiences have developed me into the person I am, the broadcaster I am today. And I'm looking forward to carry that, uh, carrying that on here at FSU. That sounds great. I wanted to ask you, what was the feeling like going through the process to be considered for this job and then the feeling when you were ultimately able to to win it? Well, the, going through the process, you know, it's there's there's stress, there's anxiety. Um, I'm coming from a great place, William. You know, I, I'm coming from a great community in Fargo, and unbelievable uh, friends, family, coworkers, unbelievable people at North Dakota State University. And so I've been I've been blessed. We were we were in a really good spot there, and we were not looking to leave that community, but. There are certain places that you you try and connect with. And my goal has always been to be a play-by-play broadcaster at a place like Florida State, at a blue blood program with a fan base that is rabid, that, you know, they to be quite simple, it matters. And everything matters. And boy, does it matter here. And, you know, I want to talk on Mondays about, the, the great moments from a huge victory. I, I want to talk on Mondays about, you know, the, the tough uh, experiences or what play didn't go our way on, on in, a, in a game that, you know, unfortunately lands in the, in the L column um, when, when that happens. And so, you know, I, it was, it was a great process because it helped me you go back to relationships It helped me reconnect with people that I had worked with and had developed friendships with at all my previous stops in Lincoln and in Morgantown. And it helped me connect with the, uh, the great people I'm working with here now and Michael Alford and Caleb Swan and Peter Collins, Stephen Ponder, and, and of course the coaches uh, here also. And so that's been tremendous. And so you, you go through it and it was about a two month process or so. And, the feeling I had when uh, I got official word was jubilation. It was a dream come true and it hasn't really set in yet, even though I've been here in Tallahassee now for a few weeks, I don't know if it'll set in until maybe game one is in the books or the game down in new Orleans is in the books. I'm not sure when it will, but um, I know we'll be ready. We'll be prepared. We'll, we'll bring some energy. We'll have some fun and hope that uh, is able to, uh, bleed through when everybody listens and takes in the game. What was your experience or your perception of Florida State following them as someone outside the program over the years? Excellence, the elite. Um, I know the last few years on the gridiron, we have not seen the amount of wins overall that we want to see. And no one knows that more than the players and the coaches. They want to win every single game and they want to bring that high level of excellence and success back here, uh, the way we have seen it, we've grown up with it, we've experienced it all in our own ways with with Seminole football. And, and the other thing is there's so many great success stories here, William, at FSU and Florida State Athletics. It's not just football. I mean, Leonard Hamilton's a Hall of Famer, and his men's basketball program is, to me, underappreciated nationally. You have so many great women's sports here, so many great Olympic sports here as well. Um, the the Florida State women's soccer program uh, gaining their third national championship last season. Uh, softball last year had an unbelievable year. Track and field is unreal. The golf programs here are second to none. Women's basketball is annually an NCAA tournament team. And so 
I don't want to leave anybody out, but there's so much, there's so many success stories. We want to tell those stories. And to answer your question, the perception is excellence and, and playing for championships and, you know, seeing uh, the brand, the logo uh, everywhere uh, when it comes to game day and when it comes to uh, the big moments and the big games in college athletics. And so, you know, I kind of grew up, I grew up in the Bowden years and what a run that Bobby Bowden had during his this time that 14 year period top five finishes national championships playing for the top prize i think all Knowles fans echo this sentiment when i say man it would have been great back in the late 80s and 90s to have the college football playoff because florida state would have been in it every single year and a one loss or or one little dust up mishap would not have you know ended the hopes to playing for a national title and so you, just, you think of excellence, you think of championships and, and some of the great individual success stories, which we're looking to tell here uh, in this in this time right now. With your job duties and, and you're at practice every day with, with football, what has it been like getting to know Coach Norvell and, and some of the other people around the program right now? Yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, it's been amazing. I've been able to talk with Coach uh, a number of times. In fact, we have our first Coaches show uh, coming up Monday, August 15th at Cushes in College Town. You know, people can join us uh, Monday night and then for the uh, next 14 Mondays after that as well with Coach Norvell and uh, some of the assistants and some of the players uh, down at Cushes in College Town. But, you know, Coach was one of the first guys I talked to when I got the job. And I just wanted to, you know, discuss with him his expectations for me, you know, what he needed from me as, um, you know, someone that he could uh, trust and rely on uh, to work with and and obviously communicate uh, communicate to what was going on within his program and the great things that are happening around his program right now. And so it's been a blast to get to know him. And I look forward to getting to know him uh, more and more and, and everyone around the program, the assistant coaches, the support staff. There's so many people that are involved. It's not just uh, about one person, even though Coach Norvell is the face. I mean, it's 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 his program and he has put so many great people and um, people of, of high levels of expertise in all of their different areas uh, on his staff. And I think you're starting to see as uh, starting to see at practice and the, the vibe you get is that that culture centerpiece is being bought into. It's very important to coach Norvell and uh, you're starting to get that vibe that um, uh, that that part of it is coming together the way he wants it to. I want to take a step back to, to some of your early days. Where were you from and, and was sports an instrumental part of, of your upbringing there? Yeah, I grew up in the upper Midwest in Mitchell, South Dakota, and it, it definitely was. Sports was life for me I, every day. was uh, running around, playing a different sport, depending on the time of year. Uh, we had the radio on in our house every single morning, every single night, listening to the radio and listening to a, a, a game, a high school or a college game on the radio watched a ton of games certainly on on tv and you know from a broadcast perspective um how i was influenced you know my dad was in radio broadcasting and public address announcing uh, i had an uncle who was in tv and radio and so just kind of always grew up around it and always had just just that presence was a part of my life and so um you talk about experiences where you've been uh, my experiences growing up uh, kind of form me, morph me into the path I wanted to go down with my career choices. And sports were huge. I knew I wanted to work in sports. I knew that I was willing to not have your typical nine to five job. Uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I wanted to to stay a part of of uh, this this type of a field and this competitive nature that we're in right now. And so, yeah, it was it was everything. You know, where I grew up, uh, how, how I grew up as a playing sports and a sports fan uh, had a huge impact on where I am right now. Maybe you you already answered my next question, talking about the experience that, that some of your family had. But for myself, listening to Gene Deckerhoff call FSU football from a young age, that was something for me that really inspired me to get into sports broadcasting. Was there someone in the industry that that had that same effect on you? You know, I, I don't have a, a, a national um, or a division one name uh, right away uh, growing up to because or I grew up. We didn't have D1 athletics when I grew up. 
Uh, Division one athletics weren't, weren't a thing in that part of the country until probably 2003, 2004 in that area. And so a little bit different type of vibe there, a little bit different type of feel. But, you know, I talked about my dad. I talked about my uncle. They were very influential on me. You know, some of the names that have had have been mentors to me or people that I've listened to or watched that have really stood out. Sean McDonough has been a friend and a mentor from ESPN, you know, for over a decade for me now. And and I've really, you know, appreciated his advice and just how he goes about his business when you watch or listen to a broadcast. Uh, his sound is uh, so unbelievable. And then, you know, the places I've been as well, the people that you work with at, at those spots and that you get to know around those conferences and around those universities, they've all had some former effect on me. You know, in Nebraska, Greg Sharp, uh, Lane Grendel, who's now calling Milwaukee Brewers baseball, but Bob Euchre is a good friend. Kevin Kugler from Omaha, Nebraska, who's Westwood One's radio voice for the NCAA tournament and the Final Four and doing the NFL and Major League Baseball and Fox, college football, college basketball as well. That's someone that was someone you, you strive to, you know, you live up to his excellence when you heard him and listened to him and what he did each and every game. And so, you know, th those were guys at Nebraska. Tony Caridi at West Virginia is their longtime play-by-play -play voice, and he's someone as well that has been been very impactful on me. So you take, I think for me, you take uh, pieces from every stop you've been on, and that brings kind of that blueprint together for who you are or where you're at currently. We've talked a lot already about about your play-by-play -play and, and that side uh, of the industry, but I read when when you were in in North Dakota, you you were part of developing a sports radio station, and already here you've started an FSU athletics podcast. What's your philosophy on on creating some some more content in some towns that that really love to consume sports? Yeah, I think it's quite simply, what do you believe? people want to hear and what are they talking about and here they want a little bit more than olds and i think that's just simply where where i've started we've started with with some of the things we've done you know some on camera uh fall camp practice report recaps with the players and coaches have to tip my cap to lane hurt leo georgie on the digital side seminoles.com those guys have been uh, amazing they've been unbelievable and helping me out and producing these and, and kicking them out there for everybody. You know, the audio podcasting side is something I've had some experience with over the last 15 plus years. And, you know, you take, again, you, you go back to the last stop at NDSU. We started a new sports talk radio station in Fargo called Bison 1660. That was the flagship station for the radio network, uh, which had over 25 stations in North Dakota and Minnesota for Bison football. And you just, you take little pieces. You, you try and get creative and do some new things. Say, what can we what can we do to connect with the fans? What do they want to hear? What would be something different as well that's a little bit unique that that maybe isn't you know on the surface right away, but we'll we'll try out. We'll swing at it. Maybe we'll miss, but if we hit, it's it's going to be fun, and we're going to enjoy doing it. So I, I think, simply put, William, the philosophy is, hey. What's the what's the passion like? What's the appetite like for, you know, what you have going on? And, and obviously the passion and the appetite and what people want to hear and talk about is at an all time high level with Knowles fans here at Florida State. It definitely is. I, I love your your terminology and also your your usage of what you call the the stat nugget. You you have a segment on on your podcast behind the mic. Uh, but tell us about your, your preparation process as a broadcaster and, and procuring some of these nuggets. Yeah, I would tell you it's already started, William. Uh, I would tell you that I started to prepare for my first game even before I got the job. Don't know if that was a great use of time back in April if I didn't get the job, but I did. Just, just kind of how I'm wired. Um, you know, I, I think from a traditional preparation standpoint, you know, once the first game is over, August 27th versus Duquesne, um, I'll, I'll really start digging in on the opponent. And I've already started looking at some things for LSU. Uh, and getting ready for that game in uh, New Orleans. But, you know, I'll really start to, to piece together my, I call them my charts. Um, I like to dig in and find connections between the two programs, whether it's guys that played together in high school or at different colleges. Now that we have the transfer portal, 
What are the connections between the two programs? What are the connections to the venue? Obviously, the Superdome has been home to a massive amount of memories for Knowles fans and for people around Florida State football and Florida State athletics. You just kind of try and weave a web uh, to take a phrase from uh, Sean McDonough, who I mentioned earlier. I think you're constantly weaving a web of of information and storylines and statistics and nuggets, and you're you're trying to piece it all together. So when things when the game ends and you're you're all said and done, you, you have your web and you have your your finished piece there. You can prepare all you want, William, and have all the stats and storyline. If you can't call the game as well, though, and can't call the action for what's going on, none of those things matter. And so you have to be able to pivot and to just take you take everyone where the game is going. It, it's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about you know what you think the game could be. You've got to be ready for what the game is and where it's going to go. And so that's why you put all the prep work in. And usually you only use about 20% of it. And that's just how it goes. And so I think we're always chasing the perfect broadcast. I don't, nobody's ever found that yet or perfected it, but it's the, the joy in the process of trying to get there as close to it that I think keeps everybody excited who's in this field. I don't want you to uh, give away too much if you don't want to, but the final question I have for you, have you decided on any signature FSU calls? There's only a couple more weeks and, until the first game. Yeah, I would tell people I've got my scene setter um, line, liner figured out, if you will, call or welcome. I've got my touchdown call figured out, and I've got my final call figured out. You'll have to tune in on August 27th. I love it. I love it. All of us uh, here at Tomahawk Talk, we wish you the best of luck in your first season and the rest of your time here. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. Thank you, William. William, appreciate it. And uh, have me on anytime. I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And that was Jeff Colhane, uh, Mr. Jeff Colhane, the the voice of Florida State and also the uh, the director of uh, of broadcast operations. It was great getting to talk with him, Jack. Um, it was it was cool getting an inside look at, at what it's like to be the the broadcaster for the team, how he's gotten to meet people, and um, I I loved listening to Gene for all those years. But I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing Mr. Colhane take the mic on Saturdays this year. It's kind of surreal that uh, someone is taking over this role in general. This is something. And I've said this a lot. A lot of roles have changed at Florida State recently, whether it be coaches or, in this case, uh, the voice of Florida State. So it's it's cool to be part of this new era and be a student while you're being here, seeing new beginnings and uh, seeing where these legends, uh, who picks up the pieces from there and see where people take them. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does on uh, Saturdays at, at Doak. August 27th against Duquesne, first game of the year. He'll be on on the microphone for that. Uh, all the same channels and everything uh, with the, with the Learfield Broadcast Network. He mentioned as, as well the uh, the coaches show on Monday night. It's now live from College Town, which is cool. The coaches show with him and Mike Norvell, and come basketball season, him and, and Coach Leonard Hamilton. So whether uh, you're listening to our show live or you're listening to it maybe as a podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify the next day, we appreciate. Uh, your listenership because i know you have a couple of options um on monday night and again another thanks to uh mr colhane for giving us uh some time and and an awesome uh, sit down interview with him and that's not it for interviews this week uh i mentioned at the top of the show that the fsu athletic calendar is officially kicking off this week it'll be on thursday uh florida state will be in columbia south carolina for a matchup against the number 12 in the country gamecocks and their new head coach brian penske he was at tennessee previously for about a decade spent some time uh, with maryland before that so he does have some acc experience way back in the day when maryland was a part of the atlantic coast conference so myself and uh, jack oliaro got a chance to talk with coach penske and uh whatever further ado let's take it away we could not be more excited to welcome on the show head florida state soccer coach brian penske william haynes with jack oliaro and coach this is our first opportunity to, to speak with you so welcome to tallahassee congratulations and thanks for giving us a few minutes tonight uh you're welcome uh thank you for having me on guys nice to meet you it's been about a decade since you've coached a last coached a game here. How has this place changed since your last time? Uh, you know, just just slight changes. Three national championships, nothing big, uh, really. Um, yeah, I mean, Mark, Mark is uh, 
uh, I was in the ACC with him for seven years and obviously he had, he had laid a, a, a foundation, an incredible foundation, and he made it very clear back then that um, while he cared and wanted to win ACC championships, uh, the prize was always about the, the, the big one and the national championship and uh, captured his first, obviously, in, in 2014 and um, two more since then. And uh, it has risen. They were, they, were, they were a consistent top 10 program, borderline top five consistently back then. And now they are every year, year in and year out, a, a top five, top four, top three program. And so what he's created and done here is uh, literally in the last 10 years is unmatched. And uh, um, and then beyond that, uh, literally not just in the last 10 years, but in the last two months, um, we have a brand new video board and we have a brand new field. So uh, very happy about both of those. I think both of those were long overdue and uh, very happy that our kids can now enjoy the benefits of that. Absolutely. It's not very often you see a head coaching vacancy at a team that just won a championship. What was it like for you finding out this job was available and ultimately that, that you had a chance to take it? Yeah, it was, you know, first, I think the whole soccer world, it was just nothing, nothing but shock, um, really. Um, you know, and uh, I think the first the first thought was concern for Mark. You know, was he OK? Was it a health thing? Um, what was going on? And um, and then, and then concerned for the kids, right? Cause you knew, everyone knew that, uh, this was going to be a big loss for these players in this program and how are the kids going to deal and respond? And, um, you know, for me personally, I, 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 I thought about the job a little bit, but I, at the same time, um, you know, wasn't sure I wanted to consider stepping into these shoes. All right. It was, it was broached um, kind of, you know, how these things work kind of kind of on the side a little bit. And uh, um, someone asked me if there would be interest on my part. And I kind of said, no, um, we, you know, we, we had a pretty good team at Tennessee. We were turning a lot of good players I had a nice life there. Um, but uh, um, the bigger thing was, do, do I want to step in Mark, Mark's shoes and try and fill his shoes and, um, it was about three weeks later that I really kind of said, you know what, um, I'm at a place in my life where I do want a new challenge and I'm ready for something new. And um, this is a, a, absolutely the tallest challenge in soccer history. Um, I, I, I believe that um, outside of when someone takes over for Anson Dorrance um, and uh, just figured, you know what, I've, I've been around the block a little bit. Um, this is about recruiting and relationships and coaching and I think I've done okay at that over the years and I uh, thought I'd, I'd give it a shot here. Well, talking about the coaches that will be joining you here, your two assistant coaching hires, they're both very decorated in the industry with Bobby Shuttleworth and Aaron Bruner. Tell me what you like about your staff. I like uh, the cohesiveness of the three of us. And, and um, you know, sometimes uh, um, uh, groups of three, um, um, triangular relationships can be challenging right um and, and it's the first time the first time the three of us sat down and talked um i said to them look there are going to be no third wheels in this relationship we're all going to be together we all have a common goal um while i am the head coach i want this all to be treated like we're we're equals equals and we're going to plug away we're never going to leave each other out we're going to all do this together i said if there is a third wheel in this relationship I put my hand up and I want to be the third wheel because um, I want you guys to be really connected with one another um, and, and, and coaching and recruiting and managing our players and so on and so forth. So um, I love their brains. I love their want um, to, to see our kids be great. Um, I love their energy um, right now. They're, they're both new to the college game, which is honestly really refreshing, right? They're, they're, there are some natural bumps right now because of, their newness to, to, to this world. And especially at this, at this level, right. Stepping in with this kind of player, they're just some natural little things that we've got to work through, but there's no doubt in the long run, these are, uh, these are unquestionably the guys for me, they're the guys for me right now. And they're the guys for this program and their soccer brains are phenomenal and their hearts are phenomenal. And, you know, they're great husbands, they're great fathers. And, uh, um, you know, I think they're here to stay for a long time. Hey, Coach Jack here. Uh, you just wrapped up 
your final scrimmage yesterday. Uh, anything surprised you uh, from the champion squad or how do you feel about this year's squad going forward? Yeah, you know, um, I think we made progress from from the first game, you know, played played group of guys um, in both of these games. And um, obviously what the what the men um, give you is um, speed, athleticism, um, strength, um, technical ability. All right. Uh, um, it's a fast paced game. And I thought we took a step forward from Wednesday to yesterday, which is obviously what you want to do. You want to just keep getting better and you want to limit the mistakes that you made the, 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 the previous time out. And we did that. I thought we were better and more consistent in our pressing and our defending. Um, we allowed the game to be a little bit too, too transitional in our first game. And it was a little bit wide open. There were some moments of that yesterday, but some of that maybe, you know, is always going to be the case when you're playing against really fast guys. And especially when you're playing on a Sunday at 12 o'clock under whatever it is, 90 degree sunshine. So that was tough. Um, and then, but then we, we also scored a bunch of goals, right? We saw a lot of kids be dangerous in the final third and play some great balls in and finish some balls and rebound some shots that were, you know, struck really well that the goalkeeper couldn't handle. And um, so I think there are a lot of, a lot of pluses. And I think our kind of our, our, um, our group is starting to take shape a little bit, you know, everything in this process, every, everything since the day Mark Corian left, everything needs time, right? These kids need time to heal, um, which I think the summer helped them there. Um, now we've all started our new reality together here. We've had whatever it is, 12 days together. We needed that time, right, to, to kind of get acclimated and used to each other and figure out what, what's going to be the best lineup, what's going to be the best shape, what's the best going to be the best way to defend. So we've learned a bunch of those things. But as I told the team after the game yesterday, if you didn't get the playing time you wanted yesterday, it's a long and arduous season. So we all got to keep plugging away. We all got to continue to get better. We're going to have some great moments. We're going to have some tough moments. We got to just roll with those and um, be on a path to continuing to get better and winning as many games in that process as possible. Uh, so going to the next question, uh, South Carolina, they've been a staple of SEC women's soccer for the, throughout the 21st century. You've, uh, you've seen that, especially in the mid 2010s. But you got the better of the Gamecocks your last uh, two matches. Uh, what's the feeling going into Thursday? Yeah, we um, obviously have uh, scouted them from from video in the spring, um, and obviously prior years. Uh, I have, like you said, I've played them each of the last ten years, and um, you know, uh, um, Shelly does a phenomenal job, and. Her whole staff does a phenomenal job. They've always, they've always, they've always been, always been teams in the SEC. They like to build out of the back, and I expect it to be. You know, it's not going to be a transitional, you know, hundred mile an hour kind of soccer game. It's going to be a, a football match, and we look forward to that. I think that suits us. Um, uh, both teams are going to want to try to have the ball and break each other down, and at the same time figure out how we've got to defend each other. Um, they've got a big, strong, tall center forward. Um, and Cat Barry, who can strike a ball with both feet from 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 any sort of distance, so we certainly can't give her that kind of time and space because she'll score. They got a winger named Zula, who's very athletic, very quick, very fast. Um, one of the best center backs in the league, um, in Jalissa Harris, um, who's been I think this will be her fifth year. I think this will be her COVID fall this fall, and she's a top top flight player. She'll play the game for a long time after college. Um, and then a springy goalkeeper um, in uh, in hints and so um, they're going to be a good team always well coached always well organized tough to break down they don't give up many goals um, so it's going to be a big challenge um, for us um, but uh, on the road obviously the target is on this team's back and these kids have lived with the target on their back right they're reigning national champions preseason number one all of those things so we're going to get the best out of South Carolina and we're going to get the best out of every opponent um, we're going to face and South Carolina the other thing is it's a great little atmosphere Right. So they, they usually draw and I, it, it would shock me if there's not 3000 plus in the stands Friday night or sorry, Thursday night. And um, our kids are going to be um, need to be ready to deal with that when their crowd is they're going to yell at our bench. They're going to yell at the coaches. They're going to do all those kinds of, you know, home field, um, home environment kinds of things. Our kids um, will talk about and we'll prepare our kids for them. Um, most importantly, in those moments, our kids got to be able to deal with it well. Mm -hmm. 
That was a great preview of the the first game of the season. But you start the season with four straight SEC opponents, all of whom you were able to defeat with Tennessee last season. Does it help starting the year against some teams that you know pretty well? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, it's. Uh, I, I, I wish we weren't starting with, with such a bear of a schedule and, and four SEC opponents, you know, but the, certainly there's value in the familiarity, right, and in, in, in knowing those, those teams. Um, a little bit of the caveat, obviously, is two of those four teams have new coaches, right, who I haven't seen, and so that will be a little bit new. Um, some of the players in Georgia have changed, right? They, they've gotten some transfers in and some kids that were maybe committed to Kadani at USC have come, hopped over to to, uh, to to Georgia with him. And so we don't quite know about their style and their structure um, and what they're going to want to do. But certainly, um, you know, the, the, the SEC, much like the ACC, it is um, highly competitive. Kids, um, kids play till for a full 90 minutes, right? Oftentimes games are very much can, can be transitional, can be physical, can be fast. Our challenge will be control, controlling the tempo in all four of these games and trying to put the game on our terms. And these teams are going to try and not, you know, prevent that. Um, but hope, hopefully a little bit of my knowledge and awareness um, will certainly um, help us as we go into this tall challenge. Coach Penske, it was great getting to talk with you. Thanks for the time, and, and we wish you all the best of luck this season. Thank you, William. Appreciate it. Jack, nice to meet you as well. Nice to meet you too. That was head soccer coach of Florida State, head coach Brian Penske. Jack, that was great uh, talking to Coach Penske. Uh, seemed like a great soccer mind. Was great kind of getting an insight on, on not just his his outlook of the season uh, and his team, but uh, we got a great look at, at their first slate of opponents, too, starting on Thursday night, 7 o'clock, SEC Network, against number 12, South Carolina. Yeah, they have one of the weirder schedules I've seen in recent times. So Florida State traditionally, or at least the past couple of years, seems to start with some uh, SEC opponents. Last year they started with A&M and Bama. But this year they're taking on the full uh, slate of it here with uh, taking on South Carolina away and then Georgia. And then the first home game is Auburn and then the annual classic with Florida uh, also away. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they perform. Uh, probably playing a Penske's uh, strengths a little bit there, opening with the same conference he was just playing the past season. I w- uh, that, that that worked out pretty well for him, I will say, and it probably uh, I would probably say the SEC is probably the closest Power Five conference to the ACC on the uh, women's soccer scale. So uh, it's a little bit of a difference. I don't, I, well, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I think it's gonna be a good tune-up for him before you know you play FGCU at home, then you have Rice, and then uh, ACC play begins around mid-September with BC away. A lot more road games than traditionally. It's uh, strange. They played a bunch of home games last couple of years, and so I guess the other side of the coin comes due this season with some road tests, some tough road tests early. I mean, playing the number 12 team on the road to start your season is not an easy task. And as, as Coach Penske said, you know, defending champs, number one in the country, you're going to have a target on your back, but it's certainly a roster that I think is equipped to do that. Um Talk about some some players on this team getting some preseason recognition. Three players on the preseason All ACC team: uh, midfielders Jenna Nicewanger and Clara Robbins, and uh, their their starting goaltender Christina Roque, who was terrific last season en route to a championship. And then they also have a couple of players that I think they'll be there until next week, August twenty third. I think is the last date um, of the the women's U twenty national team. Lauren Flynn, uh, one of their center backs, is going to be a mainstay for them and also their their second goaltender Mia Justice so they did lose a couple of players to the transfer portal but this is still a team that um you know, whatever you want to say it this is a team that's on everyone's radar not many times do you go into a uh, you know you go defending your title and people doubt you now uh, a recent poll came out with the ACC uh, the coaches voted Florida State fourth in their own conference which for me was an interesting little tidbit um just to see the perception of maybe Penske and where this team's going to go. There was, uh, you know, stuff going on the transfer portal. And it will just be interesting to see how the players typically respond to that because usually you're number one. Uh, you know, you're pre- pretty much predicted when your conference and whatnot. So it's, it's going to be an interesting title defense and uh, probably one of, one of the more unique ones we've ever seen. 
As I said, this Thursday, 7 o'clock on the SEC Network against South Carolina, you'll be able to see them play. And again, another thank you to uh, head coach Brian Penske for coming on. I'm sure we'll be able to speak with him sometime this year, whether it's, you know, on the field after a game or whatnot. So we'll have, you know, at least some quotes uh, to, over the course of the season as we cover that. Um, we're over time, but we got a couple more minutes. No one has to has to know. Uh, <laughs> some National Football League. We hit, me and Max, we hit it hard last week, but... Uh, this past week, some actual preseason games got played. The players put on the uniforms. They went on the field. There were fans in attendance. They did not count in the standings, but they were games. A couple of big stories. The Tom Brady circus continues. He is MIA in Bucks training camp. Uh, head coach Todd Bowles said uh, he had some idea that, that Tom Brady was going to be doing this, but Brady's going to be spending some time away from the team in training camp. He's going to be out at, at least uh, 10 or so days. He won't be back until after the Bucks' week two preseason game against Tennessee. Um, people around the team are concerned. Will he be back for week one, September 11th against Dallas? The, the coaches say he'll be back, um, but no one really knows for sure. I don't think it's a, a family emergency or anything. Uh, everyone has, has denied anything like that, that there was something that had come up. It sounds like, Jack, that this was something that had been prearranged. Yes, Tom Brady's 45 years old. Yes, he's won seven championships. He's got seven rings on his fingers. Um, but this is unprecedented even for him. He's spending a, a pretty large chunk of training camp away from his team, and it didn't sound like the guys on the team even knew about this. Yeah, it is a bit um, It is a bit weird, I will say. Uh, Coach uh, Todd Bowles did say that uh, this was uh, you know, prearranged, and he did know about it, so that would probably rule out any uh you know talk of a family emergency because it definitely wasn't sudden this is at least what um bulls said to the uh, media i will say though if uh not to take gonna take the uh not pretty obvious take and just go you know what if anyone can do it it's probably tom brady i think you're right you know i think the bucks were just happy to have him back because he retired already and he decided to come back for at least one more year and that 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 would be my point is He's away from the team. He's with his family. He's not having to go through the rigors of training camp. It's probably 115 degrees in Tampa in that practice facility. Maybe he's like, you know what? Like he thought initially after the season, you know, my heart's not really in this. Maybe I don't want to play. Then you're in a really tough situation where I think if you went into the season knowing Blaine Gabbert was your quarterback, it looks different. But if you're sitting on, you know, what if it's uh, August 25th and it's, oh, we actually don't have Tom Brady, that would be my concern uh, if I was a Bucks fan. Um, so that's the biggest story, I think, in the NFL right now. Tom Brady has been the biggest story rather consistently, and maybe by next week we'll have some kind of update. We talked about Deshaun Watson. It, uh, the NFL has yet to hand down a suspension. Um, Watson and the Players Association appealed the six games initially. Uh, there's rumors that Watson has agreed to maybe eight games and a substantial fine, but nothing has been worked out yet. I think the NFL still wants him to sit out a full year, but until then he'll be able to play um, in some preseason games. Um, so it was it was strange seeing him on the field his first game in like a couple of years, which was weird. Um, but I, I'm obviously before the season there will be some kind of arrangement reached. But Cleveland, a Super Bowl hopeful. If they can at least get half a season to Deshaun Watson, but uh, no season of Deshaun Watson is going to be uh, cataclysmic in Cleveland. And the final uh, NFL note that we have, Zach Wilson, the starting quarterback of the New York Jets, he was in some kind of fun TMZ headlines this offseason. Non-contact injury in their week one preseason game was rolling out to his right and kind of, I don't know, caught a turf monster or what, but it was one of those knee injuries where no one touched him, but um, it, something just went wrong. Uh, Robert Sala, I, I think he sent him to a specialist in L.A. They're kind of waiting to see. I think he was a meniscus and something else. They're going to have to have surgery. And the timetable is strange for Wilson. It's going to be two weeks to four weeks. His week one uh, status is in jeopardy. Um, and this comes on the heels of like a week after Robert Sala went out of his way in a training camp presser to say that Joe Flacco is like one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he actually said that. So that people were like, oh, is he doing trade bait for Flacco now? Joe Flacco, 2012 Super Bowl MVP, could be starting some quarterback, starting some games at quarterback for the Jets. And then I think the other side of this coin, Jack, that's interesting, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, the who started quarterback for the 49ers last year, he's practicing like not with the team um, because the team is committed to Trey Lance. He knows he's not going to play in San Francisco, so he's kind of just in limbo. 
Um, do the Jets, do you think, or do they go over-aggressive and get Jimmy GQ in the Big Apple? But why aren't they so confident in, in Super Bowl Forty Two MVP, Joe Flacco, the Joe Flacco? The Joe Flacco, this is what we're saying. I mean, one of the best postseason runs of all time, literally 10 years ago. <laughs> so why not try and reignite some of that flame? He played in New York last year to not much success. I don't think the Jets are going anywhere this year. Um, but Zach Wilson, that was kind of what their season was. What can Zach Wilson do in year two? Um, and if he's missing significant time, that's that's tough for them. But um, it sounds like they're okay with Flacco, but this was the first domino to fall because there was no team that needed a quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo getting traded to a team was dependent on probably a preseason injury, and this was the first one to happen. So Jimmy Garoppolo potentially to New York. Uh, that is a storyline to keep our eyes on. Maybe Cleveland because I don't. Even though they have Jacoby Brissett, I don't know if you want 17 games of Jacoby Brissett. So um, a couple of teams in play for Jimmy Garoppolo there. That will do it for this week on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, for myself, William Haynes, our producer, Jack Oliaro, uh, filling in uh, in the co-host spot. We had Kylie Brennan uh, call in, and it was great to, to speak with her about uh, FSU and, and also the Jaguars uh, a little bit. Also, thank you to Mr. Jeff Colhane, Coach Brian Penske for some exclusive interviews. It was a great show. We appreciate everyone tuning in uh, at on 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, online at wvfs.fsu.edu, and also you can listen to us the next day um, or any day on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen uh, after the fact so plenty of places to get the show also a reminder to follow us at v89 sports on twitter on instagram an article will be out for myself probably sometime soon uh, writing about fsu football so uh keep your eyes open for that that'll be a good one um and again thank you for listening in and with that being said you're listening to wvfs tallahassee the voice